You're listening to the Beginning of Wisdom podcast with Andrew Schumacher. Beginning of Wisdom seeks to engage in theology and apologetics in the sight of God. You can learn more at beginningwisdom.org. show we are going to continue to talk about Jesus and the law of Moses and specifically tonight we're going to be focused on the statements he makes regarding the Sabbath um, before we jump all the way in I just want to remind you guys um, uh, and make note of a couple extra things in the description tonight um, we have started a rumble account so um i am currently uploading uh, videos i basically went back to the start of this series and i'm putting everything up from that point forward onto rumble i'm gonna kind of let it get caught up i'm doing like one or two a day are, are getting uploaded there um, but just yeah want to have our our eggs not all in one basket here on youtube and um I also started a MeWe uh, community, so it's sort of like a Facebook group, but without all of the censorship and bannings and things that happen on Facebook. So uh, you can check those things out as well. And uh, I also just want to say, um, you know, things are, are pretty nuts <laughs> these days, especially online, especially dealing with stuff like this. Um, and uh you know online presence all that kind of stuff and so if if you haven't already done this i would recommend going to beginningwisdom.org and uh find the link on a sidebar somewhere there's a it says free ebook and i've got an ebook on the trinity you can get for free by signing up for email updates i don't i don't send out automatic email updates at this time uh but if you're on the list and then we got deplatformed from YouTube or something, and if you hadn't already connected up with us somewhere else, uh, I'd be able to let you know through that route um, where you can go and, and that kind of thing. So um, just want to throw those things out there as a reminder. Um, the, the email thing's been been there for a while, but just wanted to make sure everybody knows about it. So uh, tonight... Like I said, we are going to be jumping into the, the Gospels. And if you remember last week, we talked about, uh, we kind of finished up the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of that show, we kind of went through the Ten Commandments and what Jesus says about each of the Ten Commandments. And there's, there's um, some things are more, you know, obvious in others uh, in some cases you know in like in the sermon on the mount with like murder and adultery jesus amplifies what you see in the ten commandments um and then as you go uh 
looking and you see around the other gospels, you see him either just simply reaffirming or things like that. But one thing he doesn't do is he doesn't go do the same kind of affirmation for the Sabbath. He never has someone ask him about the Sabbath or ask him about the law in general. And he says, well, you know, the law, you know, rests on the Sabbath day, that kind of thing. Like he just, he doesn't say that. Um, however, uh, as we're going to see, I, I do believe that, and, and I may be wrong about this, but he possibly t- talks about the Sabbath more than any other commandment in all of the Gospels. So um, I, I haven't dug real deep to know if that's for sure, but I've read the Gospels a few times, and, and I just can't think of any other commandment that he spends as much time on. And it isn't just it isn't that he necessarily brings it up all the time. Um, it's that he's often challenged regarding it. So um, just to kind of get us back into the swing of things, um, as I have done for the rest of this series on the Christian approach to the law, this is now part eight. Um, we are going to look at uh, look at some things and, and I'll have a little visual here for you as well. Um, so review the series so far. I'm trying to encapsulate what we've done in the first seven parts. So we've seen how the Torah distinguishes between moral, ceremonial, civil laws. We've seen that's right there in the Torah. And how the moral and ceremonial distinction mirrors the assumed moral principles on the one hand and explicit commands given to specific people on the other hand found in Genesis. You remember when we talked about Genesis, we saw those two lines of um, obedience to God, so to speak, um, in the narrative. And, and uh, if you don't remember that, I recommend just go back and, and check out that episode. Uh, but then uh, we've also seen Jesus affirming the law as scripture. That's what we see in Matthew 5, uh, 17. And then, um, you know, and it will never be destroyed as heaven and earth will, which it says in verse 18. Then we've seen how Jesus amplifies moral laws at the beginning of the next part of the Sermon on the Mount. And on his own authority, he either reprioritizes our relationship to some commands or or amplifies them as he does in a couple cases. We've also seen as you go past chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount into six and seven, that he assumes his own authority to give entirely new commands to his people, as he does in, in Matthew 6 through 7, showing that his words are equal to, if not greater than, the Torah itself. Um, now, while never denying the divine source of the law, Jesus emphasizes obedience and teaching of his own commandments as what will be important in the kingdom of God. And finally, we saw Jesus either affirm or amplify nine of the Ten Commandments, all except the Sabbath. Um, he never simply affirms that people ought to rest on the seventh day. And what what we've seen and we'll continue to see are our patterns in the text. What we're doing is biblical theology. We're, we're starting with the text and we're drawing out what's actually there, what's, what is said, what isn't said, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, and also before I get all the way into where we're going from here, uh, I also want to remind everybody if you're in the chat right now on YouTube or frankly on if if you happen to be on MeWe and you you're part of the group you there's a chat in the group too so um if you if you throw anything in there I I, I might see it I do have it pulled up so um you know if you if you don't happen to be in the YouTube chat or don't like the YouTube chat or something uh, I'll I'll be I'll keep another eye on that if uh, toward the end but my but if you have any questions Stick them in the chat, say, hey, question, put question at the beginning, 
and and ask your question. We'll we'll cover those things at the end of the show. So um, what's today's main point? It is that Jesus teaching on the Sabbath shows it is no longer kept through seventh day rest, but through faith in him. Um, That's kind of where we'll get right at the end. But to even establish that, we're going to look at the patterns in the in the Gospels. Um, The Sabbath is, as I mentioned, possibly discussed more than any other commandment of the Torah. Um, Jesus is repeatedly accused of violating the Sabbath and Jesus teaches a new way to rest. Um, And and this, you know, the actual context of him being accused of violating the Sabbath and what he does and how he responds is what we're going to focus on for the majority of the show today. So let's take a look at an overview of these texts and uh, and what we're going to see there. So um, just as a broad overview, every specific mention of the Sabbath in all the Gospels fall into four categories. Um, either it's a mention of Jesus teaching in synagogue on the Sabbath. So it just ha- happens to say he was in the synagogue on the Sabbath and teaching. Uh, mention of Jesus' crucifixion or women visiting the tomb. So before or after the Sabbath, as in the one, um, you know, between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Um, so it mentions that Sabbath on, on several occasions. Um, Jesus being challenged for violating the Sabbath and the ensuing discussion. Or, uh, you know, there's one time where it's sort of Jesus bringing it up himself. Like they didn't, in within the scene, challenge him. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, but it he brings up the same kind of things that they've been discussing. And then Jesus mentions the Sabbath proactively in his own teaching. Um, now, the here are all the verses, uh, you know, and, and we're going to go through most of these not we're going to go through all of them in this third category uh, because that's really where the meat is where where we're going to find what he has to say about the sabbath Um, but you see that first category that's just mentioning the sabbath as the time he was teaching or mentioning the sabbath in the second category as the time either the day is going to be after the the crucifixion or it's the day before the women go to visit the tomb then all these sections here uh, in the third category of, you know, when Jesus is challenged. And then that very last fourth category is um, it isn't really about the Sabbath. It's it's the section where Jesus is making a prophecy about the siege of Jerusalem. And he says, you know, it'll be very difficult for, you know, pregnant women or, you know, pray that it doesn't happen in the winter or on the Sabbath, uh, that kind of thing. So it, he mentions it because um, it's just harder, you know, in that culture for them to flee the city on the Sabbath. Uh, first and second category, as I mentioned, don't really say much. So we're going to spend most of our time in that third category. And that's really where the meat is. And frankly, when it comes to talking about the Sabbath, particularly, this section is largely ignored um, by those in, you know, Torah observant Hebrew roots, at least in terms of the, the arguments. Um, they're not really addressed. Uh, we'll examine each of these uh, texts to find out what Jesus did and didn't teach about the Sabbath. Um, so that's what we're going to spend our time on. And yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty cool. All right, so let's jump right into the text. Uh, first example, we're going to start in Matthew, work our way all the way through John. There's, there's, a, you know, there's a, hand, a, good, a good number of these, but, but not too many for us to get through today. 
So let's go ahead and read this, this text, uh, Matthew 12, 1 through 8. Uh, as you can see, it's plucking grain. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck off heads of grain and eat them. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Behold, your disciples are doing what it is not permitted to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read that what David did when he was hungry and those with him, how he entered into the house of God and ate the bread of the presentation, which it, is, it was not permitted for him or for those with him to eat, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple violate the sanctity of the Sabbath and are guiltless? But I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what it means, I want mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so that's that's the section. And there's actually quite a bit to unpack. But let's go ahead and kind of look at a brief outline. So what's going on? Jesus' disciples are plucking grain. The challenge from the Jews is your disciples are breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus makes two defenses for what they do. Number one is that David was hungry and his men were hungry, so they ate the showbread and they were not considered guilty. Second defense, the priests, is, it says, he says, violate the sanctity of the Sabbath in the temple when they do their priestly work on the Sabbath, and they are also guiltless. Um, so the teaching, and, and the teaching that he makes is that the temple, as in what those priests are doing, are greater than the Sabbath. And he says something is here greater than the temple, namely Jesus himself, and he's also the Lord of the Sabbath. He also says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Um, and this, I believe, connects back to the David story, in a sense, that they were hungry and the merciful thing, uh, even though it was this was part of the temple, you know, apparatus, the whole the the bread, was to show mercy and for him to for them to eat this bread. Um, providing food to people is greater than even the temple, which is greater than the Sabbath. So you have this hierarchy established right here in the first example, where you have at the top you have Jesus Himself. I'm greater than the temple, but also mercy is greater than the temple, um, mercy and not sacrifice. And then the, uh, the temple is greater than the Sabbath because the priests do their temple work on the Sabbath. And even though that violates the command to rest and to not do work, it, they're not guilty. It's not because that's more important than, you know, the rest on the Sabbath. Uh, as far as, as the, the situation. So, so you have this hierarchy, and at the top is Jesus, at the bottom is the Sabbath. As we're going to see when we get to the end, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, the order we have is somewhat, you know, it's, just, it's a tradition, you know, there's nothing, nothing um, God-breathed about which book came first. But I do believe, uh, historically, Matthew was... One certainly very early and very widely disseminated, such that uh, a lot of people in that first generation may have read Matthew and not really much else, um, uh, maybe other than some of Paul's letters. So uh, that this was definitely, you know, Matthew's sort of it's a, it's a good gospel for like 
hitting a lot of different categories. It's really interesting. But as we'll see when we get to John, there's some bookend stuff, you know, at least the way we have it in our Bibles. Um, it kind of goes back and, and, and helps us even see this in a little bit different light. But we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to it. So the next section, and this is right after that one, uh, is Matthew 12, 9 through 12, uh, where Jesus heals a withered hand. It says, and going on from there, and that's literally, you know, we, we just read, you know, there's verse 8, 1 through 8, and now we're in verse 9. So it's the very next verse. Going on from there, he came into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man with a, who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, is it permitted to heal on the Sabbath? in order that they could accuse him. But he said to them, What man will there be among you who will have one sheep, and if this one fell into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Then to what degree is a man worth more than a sheep? So then it is permitted to do good on the Sabbath. So, Again, this in this case, it's it's the same day. Jesus is, it says he going going on from there. They went to a synagogue. Uh, there's a man with a withered hand. They ask, is it so? The challenge they ask Jesus, is it permitted to heal on the Sabbath? They want, you know, uh, an argument, a discussion, and they're looking to trap him as they often do. Jesus, his defense uh, is similar where he you know where he's talking about David before. Now he's just talking about them and and. And a sheep, and they say, "Would you not rescue a sheep? A man, as in this man with a withered hand, is greater than a sheep. Doing good is greater than the Sabbath. It's permitted to do good on the Sabbath because that's more important than than the Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath rest, the Sabbath observance. Um, so you notice that again, we we see hierarchy here. We we see that Jesus makes the point that it is more important." to heal a man than it is to rescue a sheep. And certainly you don't have a problem with rescuing sheep on the Sabbath because you think rescuing a sheep is more important than, you know, resting on the Sabbath. Um, so that's, that's the second example. And that's it in Matthew. Then we move to Mark. So Mark two, this, and, and we'll see that this is parallel with, um, with Matthew, but there's some interesting differences here. And uh, so again, it says it happened that he was going through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples began to make their way while plucking off heads of grain. Um, he gets challenged. I'm going to jump down a little bit. Uh, you know, he mentions David and the bread. Um, and then he said to them and the Sabbath in verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was established for people and not people for the Sabbath. So then the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Lord of the Sabbath is there again. Um, the scene's pretty much the same. The challenge is the same. Uh, the defense is the same, except he doesn't include in, in this you know version. Uh, it doesn't include his discussion of the priests and their work. Uh, but there's a difference here. He says, establish, Sabbath was established for people, not people for the Sabbath. If the Sabbath makes you go hungry, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> then you understand it wrong. Um, the, it's, you have it backwards. And this is, fits exactly in line with what we've seen with the man with the withered hand, with the, you know, David and his men, the, the disciples plucking the grain, taking care of people, mercy, you know, that kind of stuff. Again, People are more important 
the Sabbath is for people, not people for the Sabbath. And so uh, once again, he, he makes this case. Um, then uh, next section, Mark 3, 1 through 4, says uh, he entered the synagogue again and a man who had a withered hand was there and they were watching him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath in order that they could accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, come into the middle. And he said to him, is it, and he said to them, is it permitted on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent and looking around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their hearts. He said to them, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. So, um, this, now this matches closer to the Luke passage, which we'll, we'll see in a minute. Um, and the Luke passage states that it was on another Sabbath. So it, it, it has the two narratives right together, just like Matthew and Mark. But Matthew says, you know, and they went on from there to the synagogue as if, you know, that's the same day. And there are a few differences in this narrative. It, it's still a man with a withered hand, but this one mentions Jesus enemies watching him closely for something to accuse him of, um, which we know was healing on the Sabbath from, from the book of Matthew. And also it highlights a different question Jesus asks, is it permitted to do good or evil to save or to kill on the Sabbath? Um, his enemies were silent. He healed the man. Um, in the, in the Matthew passage, you remember they asked him, you know, should, should you, can you heal on the Sabbath? That kind of thing. So, uh, there are some differences. Um, and when you combine it with what we see from Luke, Mark is more like Luke. And so likely we're, we're talking about two different synagogue scenes, but because of the, you know, the similarities they're, they're put together much like in Matthew, uh, you know, in Mark and Luke. All right. And that's it for Mark. Now we get to Luke and we see the plucking grain passage again. Um, this one's really, it, it doesn't add anything we didn't see in either Matthew or Mark. It's, it's pretty much the same. Um, no new information. It again emphasizes Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath, which, you know, we've seen in all three narratives. So, so that's the, the Luke passage. All right. And Luke 6, 6 through 9, again, the healing of the withered hand. Um, you see in verse 7, scribes and Pharisees were watching closely. So it's just like how it's set up in Mark. Jesus talks to them, talks about good and evil, saving a life or, or destroying it. And the man stretches out his hand. So once again, this really parallels very, very closely to Mark. A little different from uh, Matthew, but as you can see, it happens on another Sabbath. So uh, this is a little bit different. Uh, I believe a different scene from uh, no differences or new information from Mark, but different from Matthew. So likely a different Sabbath. Um, all right. And then Luke 13. Uh, this is a new uh, section here as far as stories. We, we've basically only seen those other two from the other Gospels. Uh, 13, 10 through 16 says, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and behold, a woman who was there, who had a spirit that had disabled her for 18 years and she was bent over and not able to straighten herself up completely. And when he saw her, Jesus summoned her and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he placed his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and glorified God. 
But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, answered and said to the crowd, There are six days on which it is necessary to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the day of the Sabbath. But the Lord answered and said to him, Hypocrites, does not each of you untie his ox or his donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it away to water it? And this woman, who is a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound 18 long years, is it not necessary that she be released from this bond on the day of the Sabbath? So, um, again, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. The woman bent over by an evil spirit who had been with her for 18 years comes in and Jesus heals her. The ruling elder becomes indignant and berates the woman. He actually berates, he, he berates the whole crowd, it mentions, but... Uh, but he says, come to be healed a different day. You know, so he's, he's talking to her as well. Um, specifically calling out and discussing the six days for work and the Sabbath. He says, you have six days for work. This is not a day for, for healing. <laughs> um, Jesus' defense, he calls the leaders hypocrites because they do the needful things to care for their animals. And specifically, the parallel here is freeing them in order for them to drink water. Like And the teaching, likewise, those people bound should be freed even on the Sabbath. So in her case, she was bound by a, an evil spirit physically. And Jesus likens that to the fact that their animals, again, this one isn't so much saving them from, you know, falling in a well or anything. He's just talking about letting them get water. You know, you, you untie them so that you let them loose so they can do this. Why shouldn't we let her loose if, if we can do that. And again, it places the woman and the animals above the level of the, the observance and the rest and all the stuff that goes along with the Sabbath, um, just like he's been doing every other time. Uh, Luke 14, 1 through 5 talks about the man with edema, um, which I had to look up, and it was basically a it's a, a circulatory issue where basically water and or fluid pools up in the legs and makes them like swell up and squishy kind of thing. Um, it's a it's a number. It, it may refer to a number of things, but likely something like that. It says it happened that when he came to the house of a certain one of the leaders of the Pharisees on a Sabbath to eat a meal, they were watching him closely. And behold, a certain man was in front of him suffering from edema and Jesus answered and said to the legal experts and the Pharisees, saying, Is it permitted to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent, and he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Who among you, if your son or ox falls into a well on the day of the Sabbath, will not immediately pull him out? And they were not able to make a reply to these things. All right, so again... This time it's not in a synagogue. Jesus is eating a meal at a leader's house. Um, there's a challenge. It's The challenge is unspoken in this case. Um, we could speculate a number of reasons. Perhaps it's, you know, the challenge has been spoken many times. So Jesus basically just anticipates it. Um, he asks them, you know, hey, what do you guys think? Is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? And they're, they're just silent. They don't have an answer. Um, by now he's been criticized many times, asked if it's permitted, Again, talks about the son or ox um, saving them from the well. 
And again, no one can answer. And again, the teaching is people's welfare is more important than Sabbath observance um, in the in the context of what they're they're expecting that, you know, don't do stuff on the Sabbath kind of a thing. All right. Now we move to John. John chapter five, uh, verses nine through 18. Uh, we have the paralytic at the pool of Bethsaida. Uh, it's a little bit longer passage. I'm actually going to start in eight. Uh, it looks like Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately the man became well and picked up his mat and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the one who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not permitted for you to pick up the mat. But they answered him, the one who made me well, that one said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your mat and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn while a crowd was in place, was in the place. After these things, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, Look, you've become well. Sin no longer, lest something worse happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that Jesus was the one who made him well. And on account of this, the Jews began to persecute Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And he answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working so on account of this, the Jews were seeking even more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, thus making himself equal with God. There's a lot to unpack in this, this one, um, but let's go ahead and, and take a look. So Jesus, he's at the pool of Bethsaida. He heal, heals the paralytic there, tells him to pick up his mat. Um, that's kind of how he gets found out because the man is questioned for carrying a mat on the Sabbath. He just says, well, the guy that healed me told me to pick it up. And they said, who is it? He doesn't know. But then they find each other again. And he's like, oh, you're Jesus. And then the man goes and tattles on Jesus <laughs> and says, it was Jesus. And then they they then they come and, and, and challenge him. But what's his defense? This is, it's different this time. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working. The response the Jews accuse of him of making himself equal with God by calling him his father. Uh, the basic teaching here, Jesus agrees with Jews, and this is huge. Jesus agrees with Jews that his healing is working, but points out that the father works always. And so he is working just as the father does, which he can only do because he is God and not just man. Um, Jesus' statements here shed light on all the other passages we've discussed, as I, as I mentioned that it would. First of all, healing is working. And if you think back on all the passages that we have discussed, Jesus never denies that healing is working. He just says, hey, look, there's other work that you do that you'd consider okay on the Sabbath, and this is like that. Um, it's work, but it's not wrong. Um, you know, the priest's work, you know, in the temples, you know, say, you know, rescuing an animal or a son, watering your animals, that kind of stuff. He mentions the father works on the Sabbath. Um, and Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath by, we can see now by virtue of deity. 
which is why he is permitted to work on the Sabbath when doing the works of deity. So, you know, we, we understand Jesus as being in full, you know, part of what he came to do was to live a completely righteous life. So I would not say that Jesus at any point is truly and sinfully violating the Sabbath. It's not just like, oh yeah, it's okay to, you know, because he came, it's just okay to do whatever you want to do on the Sabbath in, in his context. It's, it's not that that anything's changed about what the Sabbath command was. But because Jesus is the God-man, he is God and man, and because the Father is always working, he's always upholding the the universe by his power. And in fact, as Paul says, Jesus is always doing that. Um, in him, all things hold together. So Jesus is always holding the, the world together. And he mentions that you know, the Father is, is also doing that. And so he is working. And there's no, there's no way around the language there. Jesus says, regarding the Sabbath, I am working. And that, that shows two things, these two things, that Jesus is God and that healing is working. And I believe it does give us some, some context or, or if not some context, some extra information about what it means for Jesus to be Lord of the Sabbath. If you're Lord of something, you're not subject to it. You are, it's, it is subject to you. And Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath is, is something that doesn't really make sense unless he is God. And so that's what I believe is, is going on here. All right. So next passage here is John 7, 22 through 23. Uh, oh, actually it looks like I, I, I put the titles in based on some one sort, you know, looking stuff up, but then I, I decided I wanted more context. So actually starting in, in verse 19, it says, Has not Moses given you the law, and none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd replied, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered and said to them, I performed one work, and you are all astonished. Because of this, Moses has given you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses would not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a whole man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to outward appearance, but judge according to righteous judgment. Um, so it's a little bit different. They're discussing Jesus' identity. Um, he's at the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, the crowd says he has a demon apparently referring to a healing though there's no healing in the narrative if you if you read the whole section it doesn't do like the other sections where it gives us the story of the healing you know in the narrative and then the response here the people just you know accuse him and uh, and they are clearly as as he's talking about referring to a healing and he points out that uh, the law of eighth day resurrection you know uh, or sorry circumcision um, eighth day circumcision is followed on the Sabbath. If 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 son is born and eight days later is the Sabbath, he still gets circumcised that day. Why is it okay? And he he's his point. He's talking about making a man whole. Why is it okay to wound someone through circumcision on the Sabbath, but not okay to make a man whole on the Sabbath? So again, he's always got this sort of 
you know, it's pretty clear there's a, a symbolic parallels when, when Jesus talks about these things. So he's talking about he's made a man whole, you circumcise, you know, and, and you're okay with that. You know, isn't this greater than that? And so the teaching again, we're, we're, he's teaching in hierarchies, the, the healing is greater than the circumcision and the circumcision is greater than the Sabbath because again, they, they circumcise um, even on the Sabbath. All right, then uh, John 9, 13 through 16, and then skipping to 20 through 22. So uh, just to keep it uh, on, on point. Uh, they brought him, the one formerly blind, to the Pharisees. Now the day on which Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes was the Sabbath. So this is happening after a, a narrative about the man uh, that Jesus healed. So the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received sight. And he said to them, he put clay in my eyes and I washed and I see. So some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not observe the Sabbath. Others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Um, and then skipping down to verse 20. So his parents answered and said, so this is the parents of the man who was healed. Uh, we know that this man is our son and that he was born blind, but now, he, but how he now sees, we do not know. Or how, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He's a mature adult. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already decided that if anyone should confess him to be Christ, he would be expelled from the synagogue. All right. So what's going on here? So the man is healed on the Sabbath. He's blind. He's he's healed. And both. And, and then uh, we read the part where his parents are interrogated by the Pharisees. You know, so they they challenge saying Jesus is not from God because he doesn't observe the Sabbath. But you notice there was division because some people said, well, how's he doing miracles then if, if he's not from God? Um, the defense, the man and the parents point to the healing and they just don't try to explain it further. I don't know. I was blind. Now I see. You know, the parents are like, yes, we know he was blind and now he sees. We can't explain it. And and it it says that it was their own fear of being expelled from the synagogue that caused them to basically not just say, yeah, Jesus is the Christ. He did it. You know, they, they're just saying, we don't know, but it happened. Um, interestingly, and you know, this is the final point we'll make. And this is the last of these texts that we're looking at um, within the life of Jesus. People are already being expelled from the synagogue for believing in him. Uh, despite claims that the early church just fit into the synagogue system of the Jews. So, uh, I, that's a little bit of a side note, um, but it is interesting that here within the life of Jesus, the Pharisees and, and the leaders in charge of the synagogue were already, you know, by this point in Jesus' ministry, obviously early on, Jesus himself is teaching in the synagogue. So they're not kicking him out at that time, but there have been enough of these clashes that they are not, not only don't want him in the in the you know, you see these later healings are not happening in synagogues, um, but they don't let him in. But now they will expel any believer in Jesus, um, that he is the Christ from the synagogue. Um, and I, I find that really interesting because one of the things that you'll often hear 
uh, from those who, who promote Torah observance, all that stuff, is that that in the at the time of the writing of the New Testament, and, and they'll they'll look at Book of Acts and they'll do all this stuff, and, and they'll point out that you know there was just an expectation, and and we see it in the text that the the Christians and the you know and the Jews, you know, they're they all just go to synagogue because they're all believing and following the Torah and and. It isn't till later on, and they'll, they'll point to the Council of Nicaea and Constantine, and, and try to argue that you know what every single you know what what everybody argues. Oh, Constantine, it's it's all his fault, no matter what the the theology they're trying to defend. Um, but we can see right here that you know the the Jews were already expelling people from the synagogue for believing in Christ. He hasn't died. He hasn't been resurrected. They haven't been preaching the gospel of, you know, the, the, of the resurrection, you know, that part of the, the completed work of Christ. They were just preaching, hey, the Messiah is here. His kingdom is here. You know, this should be something they're looking for. But they've had enough run-ins now with Jesus that they're not having any of it. So, uh, again, and this may be different in different cities and that kind of thing. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying from this one text that we know every single synagogue was like this, but certainly where Jesus is here was like that. So there was already a division occurring between those Jews who, who were not following Christ and those who were. All right. So what do we know from these texts? And I've already alluded to some of this, but there's a few other points I want to make. Did you notice something missing here? As we looked at, this was it. This is all the texts. We looked at everything where Jesus talks about the Sabbath uh, or the people around him, you know, other than just merely mentioning it, like we saw in, the, in those other examples. Um, what is missing concerning Jesus and the Sabbath? There are no mentions of traditions. Think about that. When you've heard it taught about Jesus and him healing on the Sabbath and getting attacked, you, you almost invariably hear well, yes, the Pharisees had all these extra rules about the Sabbath, and they'll talk about how many steps you can take and things like that. And and I, I'm not saying that's not true, but notice it isn't mentioned here in any of these texts. Um, Jesus never makes the argument, you Pharisees have, you know, added a bunch of stipulations to the Sabbath that shouldn't be there Um what I'm doing doesn't apply, doesn't, you know, it, your stipulations don't apply to what I'm doing um, because you have this, you know, expanded view of what work means. He, that is never the conversation. And we, as we saw, the healing itself was considered work. Um, he never Im implies a correction of traditions. He never mentions it. Jesus never says he is not working. In John 5, he explicitly says he is when he's healing, which then implies all the rest of the time he is. He's, he is working. Uh, and Jesus never says they are incorrect to say he's working. He never says, oh, you guys have me wrong. No, he points out that there are things that you do on the Sabbath and again, he never says what you do doesn't violate the Sabbath. He never says what you do isn't working. 
Um, the only time I, I know of that he mentions, you know, what anyone else is doing is there in that first Matthew passage where he mentions Jesus eating the bread, which was not permitted. So he's doing something not permitted, but there's a there's a higher order good, which is mercy, that that makes it so that that's okay, uh, makes him guiltless, makes David guiltless in the situation. And likewise, the priests, they are violating the sanctity of the Sabbath by working on it, but they are guiltless. So it is working, but there's a reason why you're not guilty for doing it. It's, it's a nuanced way of looking at it, but it, he never denies that it's working. He never says, no, no, that's not real work. Not once, not at any point. Um, so he never says they're incorrect when they say you're working on the Sabbath. He never corrects that, not once. So, um, you know, did you notice how Jesus actually defends his own actions on the Sabbath? He points out things the Jews place above the Sabbath. So he says, you guys, you are hypocrites. He does say that because you place, you don't consider yourselves guilty, even though you do these things above, above the Sabbath, feeding animals, rescuing people and animals, circumcision, the temple and its work. He points out examples of working on the Sabbath that they do condemn, um, or they do not condemn, rather. Uh, priests violate Sabbath by working, but are guiltless because they're doing, what they're doing is greater than the Sabbath. Um, he points out and also that circumcision happens regardless of Sabbath. So they consider that to be a work that is still permissible and, and they're not guilty, even though they do that. Um, and did you notice how, oh wait, oh, it looks like I doubled up my, my, uh, accidentally doubled up my, Oh, oh, no, yeah, this is... Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't double up. Haha, <laughs> I thought I did. I didn't want to show you guys what I was doing there. All right. How did he defend his own actions? Um, he places himself completely above the commandment. Um, by virtue of the deity he shares with the Father, he's able to do the works of deity just as the Father works on the Sabbath. He affirms his own healing people as work. He says, I am working. And he is Lord of the Sabbath, not subject to it. So his defense, it, it, it appeals to that same thing, that same, you know, hierarchy of value. And he says at the top of that whole hierarchy of value is me because I'm God and I can just, I can heal on the Sabbath and I can do good. And, and, and the stuff about, you know, the you know you do this you do that is to point out that they are there that this is something they already know and so they're being hypocrites when they they attack him for for all of this um and this is really what it comes down to this is uh we have a little bit more uh here at the end but i just want to make this point briefly that jesus He, he affirms in, in this, whole, this whole thing, he, he's pointing 
at, at all times to himself. And he doesn't, it isn't just as simple as, oh, you can do good on the Sabbath. Well, that was easy. No, it's more than that. Um, you can do things on the, you already are doing things on the Sabbath that are more important than the Sabbath, which what that tells us, and, and this goes back to, I think, part two of this whole series, when we talked about hierarchy within the law, that, that some things are more important than other things. And that can't even be the case if everything is equally um, binding in exactly the same way as it always was, you know, beginning to end it. If you, if you think of the law that way, then you, you run into problems. Um, but if you allow for what Jesus here is talking about, that, that some things really are more important than other things, then you lose that argument that, that you can just, that no, it's just all, it's all the same. And whatever it said in Leviticus is what we need to do today. We, we can ignore anything else that's said in the Bible, basically, um, to, and just, just do it the same way as they did it. Uh, it just doesn't it just doesn't work that way that's not how jesus operates and it fits exactly in line with what we discussed previously about you know there's moral law that was always in effect you see it in genesis and then there's ceremonial law that is given with the purpose of you know especially to israel to specially make them you know distinct and holy from the other nations um, much like in Genesis, other commands like Abraham come out and go here, you know, that's the same kind of command. And, but that kind of command isn't something that, that just, you know, remains unchanged in perpetuity the way that don't murder remains unchanged in perpetuity. So, so that's, that's a, it's a powerful thing to realize that Jesus, whenever he talks about the Sabbath, he's always placing something above it as more important. And that's, that's huge. Now, what does that mean? But what, is, what does it actually mean as far as what we, we do? Well, later in the series, we're going to get into, um, again, something I've discussed before. I did a whole episode on the Sabbath, but that was, most, that was talking about the book of Hebrews primarily. Um, and we'll we'll talk we'll go over that ground again in this series because it it needs to be a part of this series. Um, so there's there's more in depth teaching that comes later, but Jesus gives some teaching that that lays the groundwork for that by uh, certainly. So um, let's go ahead and jump back in, and we'll talk about the last thing here, which is Jesus' one Sabbath command. He did make a command that is uh, related to the Sabbath. Um, but he doesn't mention the Sabbath when he's given the command. And uh, But first, for context, context, let's look at the Sabbath command uh, that was given. And this is Deuteronomy, the Deuteronomy version, not the Exodus version. Not that it matters too much, but I, just, I, I don't hear this one read as much, and I think it's good for us to hear it. So the command is to rest. So uh, Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, it says, Observe the Sabbath day and make it holy just as Yahweh your God has commanded you. Six days you shall work and you shall do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath unto Yahweh your God. You shall not do any work, nor your son 
or your daughter or your slave or your slave woman or your ox or your donkey or any of your domestic animals or your resident alien who is in your towns so that your slave and your slave woman may rest as you rest. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and Yahweh your God brought you out with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So there's the command. And we see the command is to rest and give rest to anyone, you know, any of your slaves, any of that stuff. And and here, the reason I like to talk, I like to just mention the Deuteronomy one is notice it doesn't mention the six days of creation in Deuteronomy. It does so in Genesis or sorry, in Exodus for, you know, six days, God created the earth. But in, in Deuteronomy, it gives a different sort of reasoning behind the Sabbath. And, and it's, it's this reasoning for why it's not just you, but, but all who are, you know, within your towns, all the, all, or gates as, as some translations say, all of your people, because you were once a slave in Egypt. You didn't get Sabbaths when you were in Egypt. Now you, you rest one day out of seven. And, and so you should make sure that all your people rest too. You, you, you don't just rest and make your slaves do all the work. It's not really, doesn't really capture the, the, the meaning. So, so that's the command and the command is to rest. Well, Jesus does, as we saw when he mentions Sabbath, it's all to, to put something else as more important than the Sabbath every single time that he is actually teaching on the Sabbath. But rest, he says something different. So he commands rest as well in Matthew eleven twenty seven through 30. It says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wants to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I am gem gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to carry, and my burden is light. So Jesus says, come to me, I, as a person, I will give you rest. Um, the central command of the Sabbath is to rest from work. Jesus discussing rest from work shifts the command to come to me. So you remember in, in Deuteronomy, it says rest. That's the command. That's the verb that you are commanded to perform. Jesus doesn't say rest. He says, come to me. I will give you rest. And there's a lot of parallels and things that I don't have time to get into, but, but, you know, with other ways that God talks to people, but when we come to Jesus, he gives us rest from our work. Jesus is our Sabbath we find true rest in Christ. This is why despite passage after passage discussing the Sabbath, Jesus never once simply reaffirms it the way he does in the other nine of the Ten Commandments. He never says, yes, you know, just make sure on the seventh day that you rest. He just doesn't ever say it. Um, no other commandment gets so much discussion by Jesus, and yet his words only point back to himself and not the Sabbath. Remember, even in the other passages, what was it he said over and over? The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You know, what you should be looking at is me, not, not the Sabbath. And, 
And, you know, as he says in, in Matthew 11, I will, I will be the one to give you rest. So there's, you know, again, this gets, this gets developed further uh, in, in, in later points, but this is the foundation for what, what I, what, if, if you listen to me talk about the Sabbath before, you know what I say is that we, we do keep the Sabbath because we rest when we have faith in Christ. When we come to Christ, he gives us the Sabbath rest. Um, it isn't, you know, there's the, the seventh day is, is something if, if you choose to rest on one day a week, awesome. I, my family and I, we, we try to do that um, uh, every week. But that's not, it's not because there's a command, you shall, you know, you shall rest on the seventh day. Yes, that command was given, as all the other ceremonial commands were, specifically to the Jews to set them apart as, as distinct from the other nations. But that Sabbath had a purpose, and that another purpose, and that purpose was to demonstrate that, that this rest from work thing is pretty important. And then when Jesus comes, he reveals, yes, rest from work is important, and, and your true rest from your work is your faith in me. Um, and that's really where it all points to. Every one of these passages in the final analysis points to Christ and not, you know, what you should or shouldn't do on any certain day. Every, and, and I think that's very telling. It isn't just, oh, Jesus didn't reaffirm the Sabbath, therefore we don't have to do it. No, 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 no. We do do it. We do it by faith in Christ every single time, repeatedly, when Jesus talks about the Sabbath, he uses it as an opportunity to say, you know, look to me. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. This is, you know, doing what I'm doing. It is work, but it is, but this is something that is greater than the Sabbath. And, and you should look to me. So every time they're, they're thinking about and obsessing about, you know, work, what someone's doing on the Sabbath, he, he, corrects that he says don't obsess about that you know obsess about me essentially is what what it all boils down to so i hope that was helpful um right now we're going to go ahead and jump into uh the q a uh some questions with you guys so i'm looking forward to that seeing i did see some kind of uh um jumping through the chat a little bit uh, so let me go ahead and pull up my info here. All right. Okay. So let me take a look. Um, not a whole lot of activity in there today. Or maybe what I saw was... Okay, so I do have a question here. Looks like just came in from the dawning of Rosetta. Question, is Torah observance a salvation issue? What happens if a hardcore Torah observance Christian dies? Um, that's a very good question. And I think there, there's a short answer to this question, and then there's a, a hard answer to this question. Um, the short answer is no, it's, it's not a salvation issue. If someone believes... Simply, if, if Torah observance, if all that means to them is I believe everyone should 
you know, follow the law of Moses, just as ancient Israel followed the law of Moses insofar as we can, you know, all of the caveats, but that they should, that we should all do that, that that's commanded, that it's disobedient not to. I would say, even if they say, if they go so far as to say that if you don't, then you're not saved or, or something along those lines. Um, I would say that even someone that I just described, um, if they trust in Jesus Christ completely for their salvation, that they know that they believe that a certain, you know, certain parameters for right and wrong, um, they follow those as best they can, but they don't trust in their own works to, to get them, you know, into the kingdom. They don't trust in what they're doing to, to make them right before God, but, but they understand that, you know, like Jesus talks about, you know, it's rest from work, um, that, that they, they truly rest in Christ then I would say that person saved it, you know, and, and in fact, um, if just someone doing the things found in, in, in the Torah as much as they can, none of that is sinful to do. I, I would never say to anybody who says, well, I, I just want to, I want to rest on seventh day. That's what Jesus did. And I would say, you know, more power to you. Go right ahead. There's, there's nothing that, you know, within that ceremonial law, no, none of that is ever rescinded as if you shouldn't ever do it. Um, the closest we see potentially is when Paul in Galatians talks about circumcision, where if you get circumcised then now you're obligated to keep the whole law and, and you know, there, there's some, there's some, condemnation going on in the book of Galatians around that. But I don't think it's just because there's something special about circumcision. It's more that, um, more the issue of, you know, you're, you're depending on this thing. Um, and, and you're likely depending on this thing and you, and you shouldn't depend on this thing. Now that's the short answer. The, the hard answer, the long answer, um, is, uh, that uh, anything is that first of all, I believe in, and I see, I see uh, your, your, your next question in there. Um, so, uh, you know, which is why is it important to debate Torah observance? Is it because it would discourage people from Christianity? So I'm going to kind of answer both those questions at the same time in a way and say that the, since the short answer is it's not a salvation issue, what what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that in in their zeal for this sort of uh, you know this returning to the law of Moses, a lot of people they they feel like, and, and I'm talking both you know teachers and leaders and and you know at every level of, of sort of study, but they a lot of times we'll feel like, gosh, I was wrong about everything in my walk. My whole life is a lie. You know, I need to throw everything I ever, you know, learned out the window and start over. And so that a lot of times they do end up throwing the gospel itself right out the window. Um, and you can go back. If you look at my 
I did a couple of videos, uh, episodes talking about G. Stevens, G. Stevens Simon um, and his uh, Triumph in Truth uh, ministry. He did a couple, he did a, a teaching on, you know, Paul and the, the law and Paul and Jesus. And he did something on, uh, or I did one earlier where he was talking about what is the good news. I mean, that's, we're talking about the gospel. What is it? And in both of those, he explicitly added works to the mix. And he said, it's salvation is about works and faith coming together. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Cause your works, your, you know, Isaiah says all your works of righteousness are as filthy rags. Your, your works add nothing to, to merit salvation. However, um, there is a truth and it's funny. A lot of people comment and say that I'm wrong, but I mean, I just quoting him, but, um, works have an, have a, a very clear, uh, place in the life of a Christian in that they provide evidence of salvation. And so if somebody claims they believe, but then they have, they have zero evidence of it. They, they show no sign that they care you know, regardless, I mean, Torah observance or not, every Christian should care about obeying God. And if someone says, oh, I don't, I mean, I, I believed in Jesus once. And so I don't, I don't care about obeying God. I'm going to go, you know, commit adultery and, you know, steal and, you know, and, and I don't even feel bad about it. That's a person I would say who is not saved and that, you know, likely not saved. Again, I can't see hearts, but if their profession is one thing, but they're acting completely contrary to that, I'd say, well, that's probably a dead faith, like what James talks about. Um, and that's a, a completely separate issue from Torah observance itself. It's 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 an issue of, of faith and works, and how do how does that all work together? Um, so the the reason now now so what is the hard answer to the question? Is it is it really a a salvation issue. Well, in a sense it is in the way that just about anything can be a salvation issue. Um, any little idolatry in your life that you, that you place above Christ such that it, it causes you to have that life of complete rejection of Christ. Um, it, even if you may, again, even if you make verbal sort of assent to it, has the potential to do that. Um, anything, anything wrong. I mean, an out of balance relationship to a spouse or a parent or a child, um, an out of balance, you know, uh, estimation of your own dreams and goals in, in this world and, and, and that kind of thing, it, whatever it is, any, you know, anything that you place on, on that pedestal sort of, above God in a, and above really following him can, can, that can be in a sense, a salvation issue, because if you really trust, you know, if you really just, you know, worship your child and you just, you do everything for your child and you, you spoil your child, you do all this stuff and, and, and you just get all of your value from how your child is doing in their life. Um, and it's just, that's it. That's that's your whole life, and it's what your whole life revolves around. I would say, well, you're you're probably not a believer. You're probably not following Christ, even if you say you are. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, but nothing in your life is is really connected to that. But it's all just 
zeroed in on something like that. And that's just one example. I mean, it could be almost anything. So Torah observance, and this could be true things. I mean, you could have perfect theology, and it's all about your perfect theology and not really about following Christ. I mean, so so that's why I say there's a hard answer to that question because that's a hard answer. That's like, that says like, we really, again, we always need to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith, as Paul talks about, and and remind ourselves, you know, we are we are about following Christ. We are about obeying Christ, and anything that kind of gets in the way of that is is a problem. Um, and even good things can get in the way of that. Uh, and so the reason that I debate Torah observance to answer your your second question there is because number one i i believe it's an error it's it's an erroneous way of reading scripture and so it it leads to problems and one of those is it, we've talked about but but there are others it it leads to inconsistency because you can't even the best people who you know i'm i i did this this episode today on the sabbath i I just saw a, uh, a clip from Messiah Matters podcast. You, you may remember if you watched a few weeks ago, I interviewed Caleb Haig from Messiah Matters, and it was a great conversation because I believe, you know, that uh, ministry, you know, Torah resource, Messiah Matters, that's a Torah observant, you know, people who are not, who, who I believe are wrong about that, but who I believe have the gospel correct and they they truly trust in christ the same way the the primary difference between us is how we understand the law of moses but that bleeds into other things and and just saw a clip from their show today where he's talk they're talking about the sabbath and the way of sort of you know answering a a question that a, a listener had was just it seemed shallow and it's like well you you weren't that shallow when i heard you debating the trinity you know, but now it's like, oh, you know, these sort of offhanded kind of dismissive arguments uh, to support, you know, Sabbath observance, you know, the like they do. I was like, well, that's that's an inconsistency there. And, and that can lead to problems. Um, so, again, I, I I think that this is one of those issues. It's not like debating atheism where I know that my opponent is not a Christian or or something like that, or debating something like Calvinism, where I'm 99% sure my opponent is a Christian, if, if we're debating that issue. Um, with with this issue, it's sort of like, it's hard to say, <laughs> because, again, because the way that people go about jumping into this this uh, world uh, when, they, when they adopt Torah observance is, is often to wholesale flush everything they used to believe and that that ends up often leading down all sorts of erroneous paths um and uh so that's 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 a big reason that i do it and i don't and because i just don't see a lot of other apologists or or people really answering this this uh these arguments from from these folks so looks like we don't have any further questions which is fine i Got to spend some real good time on on yours, uh, so I, I appreciate that. And um, again, if you have, if you want to follow the ministry and you, and you want to continue 
really the conversation or have any questions during the week. Um, I I'm trying. It's it's a brand new group on MeWe, but hey, if you haven't tried it, I mean seriously, it's it's cool. If if you have if you like the way Facebook works, it's similar somewhat to that, but um, but there's a a really cool group chat feature where everybody in the group can kind of just chat amongst themselves, um, and and I I certainly welcome uh, conversation uh, there as well uh, during the week. So uh, look forward to likely seeing you next week and uh thank you so much everybody for for being here it's been great Thank you for listening to the Beginning of Wisdom podcast. You can follow Andrew Schumacher and the ministry at beginningwisdom.org, where you can find links to the YouTube channel and follow on social media. Sign up for email alerts to never miss new content. Please like, share, and rate the episode if it has blessed you. God bless and always be ready.